The following presentation is part of a six-week class titled Introduction to Mindfulness. The class is offered at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome back, everyone. It's not a small thing to make it to the end of the class. We're all so busy in our different ways. And uh, I'd like to say at the last class that you probably noticed that although, in a, conceptually at least, it's simple, the idea of mindfulness is very simple. It should seem simple. You know, it's just about opening and relaxing with the way things are. But you probably notice that it isn't easy. And so at the end of a class, one of the common experiences, not just for beginners, but even people who have been practicing for a long time, is just a, a sense of vastness. And if it's misunderstood, you're going to want to give up. Like, it's just, it's too hard. It's like when you're swimming against the stream. You know, eventually, you think, it'd be so much easier just to go with the current. <laughs> and the current, of course, in our society, and just generally humankind, is to gravitate towards distraction, you know, towards what's interesting, what's exciting. And we can fill our lives up. It's very easy, right, to fill our lives up. Some of you have had time off, and then you realize it was very easy to fill that time up. What did I do when I worked? Or people here, maybe some of you maybe are retired, and you realize the human mind can fill up space. I can fill up space on really busy days when I should be doing X, Y, and Z, and it's like, it's amazing how creative the mind is in avoiding and filling up space. And one of the things we avoid is just being present with life. So we're going against the stream and we should have this feeling, this sense from doing some practice these last weeks that this is a real challenge. It's not so much a challenge to have a moment of mindfulness, but to sustain that is not so easy because it's not the habit of the mind. The habit of the mind is to move around and to get absorbed into various objects, various experiences, in particular to get absorbed into self-centered dramas of one, one kind or another. So I say that because it's nice to see this as a beginning, not as an end, like, okay, I did it. Now, now I know mindfulness, what's next? But like, oh yeah, this, this feels right now. If this really feels right, then we think of it more as a 10-year plan, not a six-week plan, or, you know, maybe more appropriately, but we have to open our minds, like maybe a many lifetime plan. Like I'm setting something in motion, and I'm not worried about getting to the end of the road at the end, by the end of my life, so that, you know, oh my God, I started meditation when I was 54, and I'm competing against people in the room who are in their 20s, it's not fair. <laughs> but instead, you know, we had this idea, well, no matter how long it takes, this is a good thing. And whether or not there are multiple lifetimes, I mean, I don't know of any proof, but it doesn't really matter. I know that it's skillful to have a vast view. Because otherwise you tend to get greedy, even about something like mindfulness and competitive and, you know, 
wanting to attain something, and actually that gets in the way of doing good practice. Being greedy, being in a hurry, are not the causes and conditions that support the development of this practice. Being spacious, being patient, being interested, learning from our mistakes, learning from our successes, that's what supports the practice developing. So if you haven't already, you might want to take a newsletter home with you tonight. Uh, we're right at the end of the summer flyer, so it's not much, but it will give you a sense of the scope of the programs here at the center, or that maybe there's a center closer to where you live that you want to dig in, but it helps to have community. It helps to continue the study, and it helps to uh, go on retreat practice, uh, do retreats from time to time, because it really makes the daily practice uh, have more momentum if we put aside a day or even a weekend or a 10-day retreat. And all of those things do exist, and you can find out about them from the newsletter. Talk to me sometime. I can give you some ideas of how to continue your practice. So just a short review, and last week, if you weren't here, we did the loving kindness practice. Um, we have uh, the handouts up here if you weren't here last week. So this is week six and four. And then the uh, week five is up here, too. It says loving kindness practice. So you can come get that at the end of the class tonight. So we did the loving kindness practice. So we'll do that again tonight. And that really fits in this place in practice. Sometimes we just don't have the resources, the balance, to be mindful. We could try to be mindful, but either the mind's exhausted or something is arising in our experience that's powerfully seductive, triggering negative states of mind. So we just don't have enough momentum to be mindful, to be open and relaxed with what's coming up. I mean, you might do pretty good during the day, but then you go to the dentist, and the particular sensations you're experiencing at the dentist may be so strong, and the way our mind is conditioned, you know, that pain is bad, we can't help but react to the pain. So then we want something else to do. I mean, we just don't want to give up and assume that the best thing you do when you're at the dentist and you can't be mindful is to struggle with the pain. So it's not all or none. If we can be mindful, if we can simply open to life when it's really beautiful, when it's really difficult, then mindfulness is what we want to do. But when we can't be mindful, then there's some other things we can do. And that's what I mentioned last week for those who weren't here. And that's where loving kindness fits in. But as I mentioned last week, we don't want to do loving kindness practice just when we need it. Because that's, you know, we're not going to, it's not going to be the ideal circumstance to develop or to train the mind to relate with loving kindness. The best time to develop that skill is when life is more ordinary or even better when life is really good. And then when you, if you do it then, if you develop the skill, like how to find that state of loving kindness, then you can come back there even when life is really difficult. But it's a training. And it's based on this insight, it's really an insight, and you can just see if it's true for you, that loving kindness isn't something that we have to construct. Like, for example, right now, 
do you need to construct the idea, the experience that I care about this life? That sense of caring about this life should be something that we can all touch into without too much stuff to uncover. Now, if somebody has triggered a lot of shame today, or we've triggered our own shame today, or feelings of hating ourselves, it may take a little bit more work. But generally, when we're in a pretty good place, it's pretty easy for a human being, most healthy human beings that aren't in the midst of a crisis, to remember, yeah, I care about this life. And from that, from that place, it's actually relatively easy to recognize, I care about you. I care about everything. And then, pretty soon, if you work at it, you'll see that, that, that experience of caring, that basic friendliness, loving kindness, or in, in uh, Pali language, it's metta, M-E-T-T-A, so you might hear that or see that word from time to time, instead of translating it as loving kindness or friendliness or basic goodness or goodwill, to just use the word metta. That, that realization that metta is actually, in a sense, the background of the mind, that gets obscured when we're caught up in our dramas, our fear, our greed. And then, if we're caught up in that long enough, it may seem like metta, loving-kindness, isn't something that's available, or I have to go do something, I have to get somewhere else to have it. But we want to discover this confidence that this heart has a reservoir. And in, in practice, we realize it's an immeasurable reservoir. It doesn't run out. And this is that insight. This is like, oh, this is the nature of the mind, or the nature of the heart. It isn't something I have to do, or something I have to make, or something I have to get from somebody else. And you can imagine if the basic problem for human beings is this tendency towards self-centered drama, when that's fallen away, how could it be anything else but wholesome states of mind? Like, think of an unwholesome state of mind that doesn't involve a strong sense of self. Can you think of one? Like, even, well, you know, any negative state of mind involves a strong sense of self. Me as opposed to everybody else, or me as opposed to you, or good as opposed to bad. But it all involves a self-orientation. So when we go beyond that view, when we're experiencing life not under the influence of that view, it's not like we become frozen or you know, unable to respond. Actually, the whole life personality comes alive, but now the personality is being led by compassion and loving kindness and joy. And the thing is, we've gotten into the habit of thinking of those words in some sentimental way. So the idea is to actually discover joy as a real force, a real emotion, and compassion as a real emotion, and kindness as a real emotion. It's just like, we feel alive when we're angry. We feel alive when we're greedy or lustful, you know? A lot of us, we gravitate towards things that make us angry and lustful and greedy because we feel alive. But we can feel just as alive with kindness and joy and compassion and even equanimity, which has a sense of it being so flat. 
That equanimity isn't flat. It's very alive. It's an enlivening emotion. And these are the four enlivening emotions the Buddha talked about a lot. Equanimity, loving kindness or basic friendliness, joy or appreciative joy, and uh, compassion. These are, in a sense, the only enlivening emotions we need. We don't need any other emotion. We could get through all of the twists and turns of life with just these four emotions. That would be a nice content. It could be a reality TV show, couldn't it? You know, like you're all, the MC would start, you know, you're only allowed these four emotions. Any other emotions come up, you're out of the game. <laughs> Let's see who laughs. I mean, that would be a good game because all kinds of good things would start happening, especially if we got multiple chances, you know, like, okay, you're out of the game, but you just start in the game again. Sharon Salzberg, one of the senior teachers in, this, in the West, in this tradition, one of my teachers, she's written a couple of good books, including, by the way, if you really like this practice of loving kindness, you might want to get her book. It's, uh, you know, you could get it in the libraries, but it's also in paperback now. It's called Loving Kindness. The Revolutionary Art, Art of Happiness, Sharon Salzberg. And uh, she has this wonderful little teaching story about being on a tightrope. And this is just a great image for practice. Being on the tightrope, it's like being a human being in real life. And if I get greedy, that greediness, that wanting something to happen, wanting to get something, it causes me to lose my balance and I fall. And if I get aversive or fearful, that tightness of the fear, of the aversion, throws me off balance, I fall. If I get deluded, distracted, in denial, I lose my balance and I fall. But in this image, you always land back on a tightrope. You can't do anything but land on another tightrope. So, yeah, it's nice not to fall, but when you fall, you just have the next moment to practice. So even if you fail in this moment, you get caught in some negative state of mind, you take it personally, you take the anger personally, you take the greed personally, you take the distractedness or the delusion personally, you're just going to be, there's going to be the next moment whenever it is when you realize, oh, it's like this now. And you have that opportunity to recognize, oh, it's just delusion or it's just anger. It's just greed being known. It's just that. And that's the balance. That's wisdom operating or mindfulness operating. And the Buddhist teachings, he almost always paired mindfulness, which is the remembering, maybe you remember this from, the, from week one, mindfulness, the technical definition of mindfulness is remembering that this is being known. Because remember, we can be conscious, like you can drive home in a sense be conscious because you're steering the right way, but you won't remember that you drove home. You could be driving home and lost in this and lost in that and hopefully not on the cell phone talking. But you can't. I mean, people do that. And somehow they're able to also be conscious of turning left, slowing down, speeding up. But mindfulness is not just being conscious. It's being aware that you're conscious. Being aware that something's being known. So it's not enough to know that there's an awareness. Oh, this is being known. It's not enough to have emotion, but there's an awareness, oh, this is being felt, this is being seen, this is being heard, this is how it is now. That's mindfulness. And the Buddha almost always paired mindfulness with wisdom. So wisdom is this, like a clear comprehension. 
So it's not a, just a moment of knowing that this is being known, but it's an understanding that this is being known, and given what's at play, this is how things are unfolding. <clears throat> so in the most basic way, wisdom in a Buddhist sense is a comprehending cause and effect, moment by moment. So we not only know what the mind is knowing, know what the mind is doing, but we also know from having studied the mind long enough what's likely to be set in motion given what the mind is doing, given the influences on the mind. So if we're mindful that, oh, the mind is fearful and it's like this, what wisdom is adding to that is the mind is fearful and it's like this, and notice how the heart is getting contracted. Notice how the body is getting tight. Notice how that tightness is sort of causing the mind, the body to be less, to be less skillful, less nimble, less responsive in this situation, more blinded by the fear, seeing less clearly. Right? So wisdom is comprehending the effect of what we're seeing as true in the moment, as happening in the moment. And it's that dynamic of remembering this being known, this is how it is, and the comprehension that sort of just during cause and effect that really opens up our world. Without it, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we're literally like robots. Or the Buddha, this is a quote I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the Buddha said when we're neglecting this wisdom mindfulness, it's as if we are already dead. Because in a sense, there's nobody there learning from the moment. So it's just habit energy carrying on. And we probably have had days, weeks, and sometimes years when mostly it was just habit energy carrying on. And this is true with people who've had a lot of pain. One of the strategies when we have a lot of pain is just to disconnect. And when we disconnect when we're not really awake, then it's just our habit energy carries on. We meet our partner. We're not really there, and it's just our habit energies interacting. Nothing new really happens. If we always do what we've always done, we always get what we've always got. A friend of mine told me that once. I like that. We always do what we've always done, we always get what we've always gotten in the past. Nothing really changes. This is why, you know, we have that sort of, when, you, when we were young, some of you maybe are still young, you know, and once again, we're in a new relationship, and then all of a sudden a person, why do I always end up with somebody like this? You know, why am I attracted to this same kind of person? Oh, it, it didn't work then, it didn't work that other time, it didn't work that third time. What was I thinking? Or anything that we tend to catch ourselves repeating over and over again. I did it again, I ate way more than I needed to eat. Or I did it again, I said something really stupid, stupid out of being needy. I did it again. Or trying to make somebody like me, you know, and we do something silly or shameful. And we say, oh, because we're not mindful and we're not comprehending cause and effect. We're just not there. So our first move in life and in sitting meditation practice is always to work with mindfulness and wisdom. We're present. Remember, the best, easiest way to remember being present is relaxed and interested, or bright, or uh, <clears throat> trusting, accepting, and bright, clear. And 
for comprehending the way that it is, understanding, like, in order to comprehend, we need the continuity of mindfulness. It's not enough to be mindful in a moment. If we're mindfulness with some continuity, then we begin to be able to discern cause and effect, how it's unfolding. And correlating mind states with how things unfold, contracted states always lead to trouble. Expanded, released states of mind and heart always lead to more skill. Not necessarily perfect skill, but generally speaking, we're always more skillful when the mind is not fixed because it's, it's really there and it's not under the influence of a fixed view. So it's in learning and, resp- and uh, like how we're understanding it isn't, we're not needing to defend a view, like we're not trying to make the moment fit our fixed view so we can actually see how it is and see what works and see what leads to suffering and what leads to the release of suffering for ourselves and also for others. Now to do that well, we need loving kindness operating in the heart because when we're opening to fear, when we're opening to aversion, Boredom, you know, all the different flavors of aversion, fear, as well as the strong states of hatred. There's got to be a force in the mind that keeps us close to what's happening. And that's loving kindness, compassion, joy. The, the wisdom of uh, staying close is what we call love. Love is a kind of wisdom that knows how to be close, knows how to include knows how to let everything belong. The opposite of love, whatever you want to call that, is when we cut things off. Can't include that. That's not okay. That doesn't belong. That's evil. That's wrong. But when we see things with wisdom, everything belongs. That's what that's the basic insight of wisdom. Everything belongs. Given everything that's happening and everything that has happened, this can't be other than what it is. This life can't be other than what it is. This world can't be other than what it is. You see how it's basic insanity to think it shouldn't be this way. Does that make sense? Because given how all the things at play, it can't be anything but this right now. So the question is, how do we contribute to this transforming into something better? What can we do right now that will make things unfold in, a, in the direction of happiness and the release? Not just happiness for ourselves, but happiness for everyone. What can we do? Well, if I think this is wrong, it shouldn't be this way. This isn't right. And I have that really fixed view. What does that set in motion for the future? What am I practicing right now in this moment or reinforcing? I'm reinforcing contraction. This shouldn't be this way. Right? I'm, in a sense, psychologically, throwing this idea that I have of this world, this moment, my life, I'm throwing it out of my heart. can't include you. This is not acceptable. And so we're getting really good at that, aren't we? Because that's what we're practicing. If we practice rejecting the moment, we get really good at rejecting the moment. So what are we more likely to do in the future? This is not good enough. This is not okay. It's unacceptable. I can't stand this got to change it. We create the future we practice. If we practice rejecting, if we practice thinking, if only I had that, 
I'll be happy, then that's what we'll be good at in the future. Thinking, if only I had that, I'll be happy. So if we practice postponing peace now, we'll postpone peace later. If we practice realizing peace and contentment, if we practice friendliness with things as they are now, we'll be good at practicing friendliness with things as they are later. Here, you know, in this kind of practice, ends and means have to be in sync. You can't use fear to get something beyond fear. You can't use hatred to get beyond hatred. You can't use lust to get beyond desire. All of those states, any contracted state, any state, when you have enough mindfulness, you'll see directly. When you have what we call a negative state of mind, it hurts. Now, lust doesn't seem to hurt or greed doesn't seem to hurt because we're fixated on getting what we want. And we're not noticing the contraction that that involves because we're fixated on this idea. We've created a little bubble and in a way we've cut ourselves off from feeling the mind and body. Like what is the consequence of really wanting something to happen? So, cultivate loving kindness formally and informally and it will really support your meditation, your mindfulness practice. So tonight we'll begin with 15 minutes of loving kindness practice and you'll get a sense as we transition into the mindfulness practice midway, you'll see how it's so much easier to include the present moment, to include the breath just as it is, to include the body sensations just as they are, to include the mind and whatever the mind's doing just as it is, because you have a little momentum, the heart will be to have tapped in, to some degree at least, to this natural capacity to include, to care, to welcome, to say yes to. And you're to see. So that will give you this uh, encouragement to do, to cultivate loving kindness in both formal ways and informal ways when it makes sense in your life. And just a little plug, once a month, the first Friday of the month, here at the center, we do the loving kindness practice. We have uh, a, a monthly practice group for loving kindness, 7, 8, 30, first Friday of the month. So you can get some instruction. And that's just a drop-in group. So you can come any first Friday of the month for that. So you might want to stretch out your legs so you'll be comfortable sitting for about 30 minutes. Feel free to stand if you want for a few seconds. Do what you can to release the tension. comfortable, but do what you can, finding this balance between being upright and being relaxed.
in each of us, we can check the places we tend to hold tension, for example, in the eyes or in the jaw, checking the shoulders and inviting the release there in the hands and arms, in the abdomen, the whole pelvis can release any unnecessary tension. You may want to take a couple of slow, full, easy breaths. Take your time. And maybe one more time. Take as much time as you want to fill and then empty the lungs, really showing up for this simple thing. This is it were the most important thing. And then eventually let the breath continue on its own. kindness practice, you might find it useful to take a couple minutes and do a forgiveness reflection. <clears throat> so it's very simple. You just begin by bringing to mind a particular person, or might even be a group of people, that you might have caused harm in the past. It can be from long, long ago, or something that happened today. But just bring to mind somebody that you've harmed, whether it was intentional, or accidental. And when you're ready, having a felt sense of this person, these people, as if you're right there in front of them. And remembering that it isn't easy being a human being. We all know it's easy to make mistakes as a human being easy to make mistakes because the mind is under the influence of fear or angry, under the influence of greed, or just deluded, disconnected in some way. So knowing that it isn't easy being a human being, knowing that it is easy to make mistakes, you practice asking this person for forgiveness silently in our minds as if we were talking to this person. So you might say, please forgive me. It's easy for me to be confused, to be caught up in my dramas and make mistakes. So please forgive me for any harm that I might, may have caused you. And you can try several times, two, three, four times, in a slow, easy way, as if you were talking to the person. 
and then you could continue with the same person, but you might want to bring to mind somebody else that you might have caused harm, just weren't as skillful as you might have been. Just see who comes to mind, take your time, remember the situation, have a felt sense of the person, and also feel your heart center as you're remembering all of this. And when it feels right, just as if you were talking to them, ask for forgiveness. We could spend the whole night doing this. So when you have time, you can come back to this and do it for a longer period. But let's move on, and we'll bring to mind, in a way that feels safe, somebody that's harmed us. And again, it could be from long ago, something that happened recently. And don't pick the person who hurt you the most, just somebody that caused some harm. And as you bring the person to mind, in the same way, remember that it's not easy being a human being. And it's easy to act out of fear and greed and confusion. So we remember this as we remember this person and remember the harm that they've caused us. And whenever you feel ready, as best you can, in your own words, silently in your mind, offer this person forgiveness. another person that's harmed you in the past. Take your time to reflect on them, have a felt sense, and then in a way that feels safe and appropriate, offer them forgiveness.
again, we could take a lot of time with the practice of forgiving others. So we'll move on and finish the forgiveness reflection by forgiving ourselves for being an imperfect human being. In all the little and big ways, we haven't really taken care of ourselves and taken care of others. We forgive ourselves. And again, we realize that it isn't easy being a human being. In fact, it's impossible, probably, to be perfect. So as best I can, I forgive myself for any harm that I've caused myself or others. So just practice as if you were talking directly to yourself. do the loving-kindness practice now. The easiest way to begin is to bring to mind somebody easy to love. <coughs> Whoever that might be. Could be a mentor or somebody who's really been there for you in your life. Doesn't even need to be somebody you know personally, but just somebody you have a lot of respect for. Or it could be somebody simple like a niece or nephew, you have a lot of fondness for even a pet. Just see who comes to mind as an easy person. Don't worry about getting the best one. Remember them and their happiness, their goodness. Just a felt sense of this person. And notice your heart center as you remember this person. And I'll repeat the traditional phrases, and you can say them silently after me. May you be safe and protected in all ways. And may your heart be happy and peaceful. May your body be healthy and free from pain. May you take care of your life with ease and joy. And feel free to incorporate the person's name, however that makes sense. May you be safe and protected in all ways. May your heart be happy and peaceful. And may your body be healthy and free from pain. And may you take care of your life with ease and joy. So just continue on your own. Of course, you can adapt, adjust the phrases so they're really meaningful. And take a few seconds after each repetition 
so you feel the meaning of the words you've just said in your mind. It's like you're sending out a beautiful and simple gift of your good wish. Feel free to bring to mind another dear friend or a dear one to see who wants to come to mind. Don't worry about getting everybody or being fair. Just allow the person who comes to mind to come to mind. Feel your heart center as you begin to repeat the phrases for them. No need to rush.
thinking just as we care about this life. We end by realizing that everybody here in this room, all our friends, loved ones, all the neighbors, all the people on this planet, and not only the human beings, but all living beings, simple and complicated, they also wish to be safe and happy. So we open up the heart to include, without exception, all beings. May all beings be safe, protected from harm. May all beings be happy, peaceful hearts. May all beings be healthy and free from pain, taking care of their lives with ease and joy. May we all be free from suffering and free from the causes of suffering. And we begin our mindfulness practice by simply feeling how the heart is now, without second-guessing or needing things to be different than they are. Just notice the quality of the heart center. Connecting and sustaining this awareness, clear and relaxed. This is how it is. This is being known. The heart is like this now.
the last few minutes. Let's practice with the eyes open if they've been closed. Noticing that seeing is happening, seeing is being known. Can this be okay? Hearing is happening, is being known. Is it possible to include all the sensations that are being known? And also noticing the attitude and thoughts that are being known. care about this life, this moment, care enough to be willing to include, to be actually sensitive to how it is now, an unconditional acceptance or unconditional <coughs> openness. mind reacts or struggles, when you notice that, also include that. You too, you have the right to be included. This is just something being known. Struggling is being known. Would you be willing to turn the top two light switches just a little bit more each one? The top two. Not all the way, but yeah, that's good. So as I said before, and you probably have noticed, it's nice to hear from people what you've been learning. If you tried the walking meditation, if you did some of the loving kindness practice at home, or just generally in the mindfulness practice, what's been challenging, what's felt really good, felt like you've been learning or having insight, questions about the instructions you might have. 
And if you do have something to say, share your name too, please. So who'd like to share? Anybody? Yeah. Moments before it begins, a little, you know, 
mindfulness cell goes off, we go, oh yeah. And remember, it's not that you're remembering to imitate being skillful, you know, or putting a big should, I should be skillful, I should know by now how to be skillful. That's not what's being asked. What's being asked is, can I be interested and relaxed in the situation so that if I am unskillful, I'm going to really see it in living color and I'm going to understand what were the supporting causes for being unskillful. Or if I happen to be really skillful in this time around, I'm going to really get how it was that skillfulness came to be. That's the key. And then we just start getting the underlying principles of skill and lack of skill. You know, and obviously one of the supporting causes and conditions for being skillful is to be mindful. And one of the causes and conditions for being unskillful is to not be mindful. But there's many other that that might surprise us. Like one in particular, you know, when we are fixated or identified with self-view, taking something personally, it generally leads to suffering. Hard to avoid it. But when we're seeing the moment as nature, it's just stuff happening. Causes and conditions, natural phenomena that has their own causes and conditions, all of that interdependently ha mixing up, making this what it is right now. And to really see that as a movement of nature instead of this person did this to me, I did that. So we can either tell ourselves a story that involves me and you, or we can tell ourselves a story, this is just nature unfolding, causes and conditions unfolding. And that view that it's just nature unfolding tends to lead to more skill. And the view, it's all about me, it's all about you, that's basically uh, projecting onto the moment a self-story tends to lead to lack of skill. But you don't want to believe me, you want to actually observe by being mindful. So does everybody have a situation that's challenging in their life? Now it's not enough to think of it now, but as many times between now and when you go to bed tonight, and then hopefully as soon as you wake up or very soon after you wake up, keep resetting the intention. Oh yeah, when that situation arises in the days ahead, before I'm actually in the middle of it, I want to remember, oh yeah, I have the intention to be mindful. Remember, the intention is not to be perfect in that difficult situation. The intention is to be a student, to be really interested, really awake about how it is that suffering comes to be and how it is that suffering is avoided and skill can arise. So that over time, we'll get really good at that particular difficult situation. And then we can bring to mind another one and do the same thing. Make that clear vow. Okay, it's my intention that before this particular interaction or this particular situation happens in my life, I will remember to be mindful. I will feel inspired to be mindful. Oh yeah, I have this capacity to be clear and relaxed. And that supports, that's, like, that's what makes us learners. When we're clear and relaxed, it's hard not to learn from life. When we're not clear and not relaxed, we're not going to learn much. And what we do learn tends to be wrong. Right? We're learning the wrong thing because our lack of clarity and our lack of relaxation 
it's skewing our perception. We're not actually seeing the way it is. You don't really connect or see things as they are unless you're relaxed and clear. So that's why, I mean, this is a promise. Not that we haven't been learning. We've been learning the wrong things because we've been misperceiving our experience and we're misperceiving because we're not mindful, we're not relaxed, and we're not clear. We're not interested in what's happening. We're interested in confirming our beliefs, but we're not interested in what's actually showing up in the moment. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. My name is Emma. Um, I had a couple questions about the Yeah. I just had met a few come back 
remember the person. Remember, we're starting with somebody who should be easy for us to connect with. But even so, the mind will resist this practice. It doesn't want to leave behind what it's very familiar with. It's very familiar with being critical, with feeling the victim, with wanting things to be different. It's not very familiar residing in the more natural state of loving-kindness. So there will be resistance because it's novel, not because it's not available. And we have to bring a lot of confidence to this. Like, you know, when your mind is putting up a lot of resistance, then just in a natural way, this wouldn't be a distraction or uh, this would be appropriate to just ask yourself, but I do care about this person, right? Yeah, I do care about this person. I care about you. So you've got to keep coming back to that basic truth. I really do care about this life. I really do care about my cat. May you be safe. Yeah, I want you to be safe. That's not something I'm manufacturing. Now, my mind might be distracted. It may be bored. But I can find in that all those distractions, all those possible things my mind might do, I can trace it. Oh, yeah. Sumi, my cat. May you be happy. And that is good work. So don't feel like when your mind's all over and tempted by all these other things, Finding your way back through that web of distractions to the one thing, oh yeah, may you be happy. That is actually what's strengthening the practice. It's exactly that messy work that's changing the wiring of the mind. That's how we change the wiring, is we're not afraid to do it, coming back to it over and over again. And then there will be times, especially once you practice for a while, where the feeling of loving kindness will just come alive. There will be like an upwelling of just goodness. And when that's really strong, then you don't even need to use the phrases and you don't even need to remember the person. Just that natural generosity of that good feeling of goodwill, that's your object of meditation for as long as it lasts. And then it's going to stop at some point, and that's okay. Don't lament that it's not flowing like it was for two minutes or however long. Then just come back. Remember the next person or go back to that person Remember the next phrase and start again basically with doing your push-ups. The push-ups are remembering, bringing somebody to mind, and bringing the next phrase. And that each of those phrases, it's not so much about that person. What we're really meditating on is this upwelling of that good wish, the heart's capacity to wish well, to care, to love. So that's what we're tuning into. Even when I'm really in a bad place, I can feel that. I can bring somebody to mind that touches my heart, and I can remember, oh, may you be happy. Thanks, Emma, for bringing that up. Other thoughts for your practice? Yeah. What's your name? My name's Emily. Um, you said something today that you said it a few times in the and that was um, this idea of, like, you know, being like, and for a woman that's good, but I really like to try to practice where I forgive myself and move on. And 
maybe maybe because that seems easier to me than than where the middle way is here, but I'm, I'm having a hard time like seeing where those two um, yeah. So the continuity of mindfulness I was talking about, as opposed to just a moment of mindfulness, that's how you build it, exactly as you described, that you, when the mind gets distracted, then when our mind is distracted, caught up in thought, and generally caught up in a self-centered drama of one sort or another, mild or intense, there's nothing we can do about it in that moment. So when the mindfulness comes back online, and we're aware now, that I've been lost in thought, the appropriate thing is to forgive ourselves. Because we're mindful now. We shouldn't be upset now because we're mindful. We're aware that we've been thinking, lost in thought. So the appropriate thing is exactly as you said, oh, lost in thought is like this. You know, now it's like this. But if you keep doing that long enough, forgiving yourself every time you've been distracted, and just starting over right then and there, and not being worried about being continuous. Being worried about having continuity of mindfulness isn't the cause for having the continuity of mindfulness. The cause for having the continuity is to be interested and to be relaxed. The more interested we are in the way that it is and relaxed with it, that supports mindfulness. Mindfulness doesn't come from trying hard or from forcing or from judging ourselves, all of those are causes for distractedness and more suffering. So I think you're doing, it sounds like you're doing just the right thing, and now you just need to be patient. But it is nice to hold out an ideal that when there is continuity of mindfulness, when there is a lot of momentum, uh, a lot of really positive things happen. We learn a lot about the mind very quickly, like little bursts of insight. And it, it changes our life. We're a different person having had those insights. And many people in this room have had powerful insights already. Whether you consider them being the result of mindfulness or not, doesn't matter. You know, from my point of view, you know, you don't need to believe me, but from my point of view, you don't have insight without mindfulness. Now, this doesn't mean you knew you were mindful, but there was, if you look back in hindsight and really could remember what had happened, you would see that the mind was clear and it was relaxed. It was seeing things as they were. It wasn't reacting. And in that clear seeing, that relaxed clear seeing, the mind came to understand something that it wasn't, wasn't understanding before. And that understanding then becomes part of the mind stream. You can't take it out anymore. It immediately gets integrated. It's like if we thought the world was flat and I, you know, got you in a little balloon and we took the time to go all the way around and you knew we weren't, you know, faking it. We really went around and ended up in the same place. You'd realize, oh, this thing's a sphere. You know, it's not flat. And then it didn't matter if everybody else in the world thought it was flat. You know, you had your direct experience and it would change you forever just because of what you came to see. It's the same with understanding the heart and mind. We're mostly, you know, it's amazing. The most important thing by far in the world is our mind, our heart. But, you know, when have we been told, like in kindergarten or third grade, you know, get to know your mind. It's really important. It's really what this whole thing called life is about, you know. <laughs> you know, no one ever tells us that. It's amazing. It's truly amazing how oblivious we are to the mind. That we have to wait until 
we get inspired to take a meditation class, say, oh yeah, that's right, there is a mind here. <laughs> it's pretty relevant. I mean, who among us doesn't know how much suffering our mind has caused us? You know, it'd be good to know about it, and how much happiness arises in the mind at times. It'd be really good to get to know it. Time for maybe one or maybe two more before I just want to say a few things about anything question? Yeah. Um, last week I started having more trouble with my stretching and I wasn't able to come fast. And as the week went on I started having more trouble sitting. And the last night, Thursday, I actually just had to stop. Stop sitting? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was as if I've been trying to figure out how it was articulated. Just as if there was a very quiet rumble of I can't, and then I can't, I can't, I can't. Like, it's getting louder and louder, and I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. So this is a perfect example. It's actually good that you brought this up. Because it's a perfect example of when we need something other than mindfulness. Because when something's overwhelming, and when we bring our attention to it, that attention actually seems to amplify the negativity. That just means that, yeah, we can pay attention to it, but there's no wisdom that's discerning what's going on. It's not sort of, the wisdom isn't there to catch that. It's taking it personally, it's causing the buildup of contraction, the buildup of energy, tension, and kind of squeeze, and then because it's more intense, because of the pressure, it's more seductive we get more identified. So it's the opposite way. We're going the opposite way. We're becoming more identified. So at that point, that's when we drop mindfulness as a strategy and we do something different, like loving kindness, for example. This is intense, right? So we touch the pain of like how difficult the moment is for us. And then we go, oh, I care about that pain. I care about the contraction in the body and the mind. I mean, I hurt. And I care about this. May this body, may this life be safe. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. And you just make that transition. So now you're redirecting your attention to loving kindness, for example, whether it's a compassion practice or loving kindness practice or whatever. Same with, uh, there are other ways to sort of change the experience. Like stand up and go for a mindful walk. And just notice beautiful things when you're walking. Oh, the green of the trees, like this. That's pleasant. Paying attention to pleasant objects can break that cycle. Because when something, when the mind is experiencing something painful, like the depressive emotions, long enough, anything that's unpleasant long enough, it begins to wither. Even if we started out being relatively skillful with that difficult object, over time the mind gets exhausted and it will be important to give your mind another object, even if it's not what's predominant. You're making your mind pay attention to something else, because that will bring the mind back into balance. And it's really important to have in our back pocket things you can bring your attention to that are either neutral or pleasant. Know that you have this nice walk you can do. Know that you can, you know, pull out your photographs from your you know, vacation with your best body that was so wholesome and pleasant, you know, and dream, and then you're bringing your attention to that memory. And it will break the cycle. 
of that negativity and fixating on it and telling yourself a story about it that just draws us deeper in. <coughs> I want to take the last uh, five minutes just to go through this handout. It's, I think, pretty self-explanatory, but I mentioned there are five ways to integrate practice into daily life. And the first, and you have to actually do these, you know, having the sheet won't do it for you. So the first thing is, if you want to integrate your practice in daily life, and this is really essential because even if you have a lot of time in your life, you're not likely to sit for more than two hours a day, right? And most of us, less than that. So that means we've got to use the rest of the day to practice, the non-formal sitting time to practice. The, one of the easiest ways is to just maintain a thread of what the whole practice is about. So just a little bit of the teachings. It might be a particular phrase of the Buddha, for example. Nothing whatsoever should be clung to as I, me, or mine. Having heard this, you've heard all the teachings. Having practiced this, you've practiced all the teachings. Having realized this, you've realized everything there is to know. Nothing whatsoever should be clung to as I, me, or mine. Now that, you don't have to remember the whole thing, but you get the idea. Or another way, he said basically the same thing. He said, the supreme liberation has been discovered, namely the liberation through non-clinging, non-attachment. You can just remember that word, non-attachment, non-clinging. So there you are in the middle of your life, you know, suffering, stressed, reactive, whatever, and then you go, okay, what, what did that wise person once say? Oh yeah, non-attachment. Now I don't believe him, but I'm just going to explore <laughs> whether there's anything to this. So let me just see. Okay, I'm really attached, and how am I feeling? Really bad. Okay, attachment, suffering. Okay, and then you know, just, you just track it. Just see. Okay, moments of non-attachment, no suffering. Oh, maybe you knew something. Or another thing, a great uh, little line. And you can, you know, funny lines sometimes are the best to remember because you've got to be have something you can draw right in the middle. You can put it on your computer screen. You can write it on a piece of paper and leave it in your pocket. Every time you put your hand in your pocket, you go, you remember it. This is a line from Joko Beck, one of the, uh, she just died a year ago, great Zen teacher from San Diego, Charlotte Beck, that's her name. She was like 93 when she died. Uh, and joy is the present moment minus your thoughts about it. <laughs> so don't get angry at your thoughts or try to suppress your thoughts, but just realize that there is joy here when I'm not confused by my thoughts or opinions about the present moment. The present moment is naturally alive and mysterious and no boundaries. Where is the boundary to the present moment? We only create the sense of boundaries and limitations with our thoughts about the present moment. So when we open to the present moment, things come very alive, very enlivening. So that's the first thing. Find a little line from a poem line from the Buddha, a line from some teacher that just resonates with you and hold on to it. Keep it with you all day long. And when it dries out, find something else. These little tidbits, they work for a while and then you develop defenses and they don't work anymore. And then you've got to keep studying, you've got to keep listening, coming up with something else that really opens the door, opens your mind, rocks your world a little bit, little sentence that rocks your world or word that rocks your world and, and keep it with you. The great Thai meditation master, 
was a Buddhist monk, Ajahn Buddhadasa. Taught, I've trained a lot of the Western teachers today. <coughs> died, I think, in the 80s. Um, but he had this, uh, Ajahn Tomato, one of the more famous Western monks, asked them when he was a, a new monk, if you were on a desert island, or I don't know if he asked them or if he was there when somebody else asked them. Somebody asked them, when you're on a, if you were on a desert island and you could only bring one thing, what would you bring? He has this great answer. I don't know how he came up with it. He said, I'd want a medallion, you know, like something you'd hang around your neck. And on it, it would say, this is how it is now. <laughs> Isn't that a great answer? We can actually do this. We can, you know, make a little something that says, this is how it is now, and we can carry it around with us. And that would be a really good reminder. And you can add on the back side, can this be okay? <laughs> because maybe we're not quite as gifted as practitioner as uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa. And then I mentioned the second thing. Take, always have one difficult place in your life and make it your teacher. You know, set that vow, I'm going to really practice in this place. I'm going to practice being mindful in this place. And then when you get good at that, think of another difficult place in your life and turn it into your practice. That's the second. The third <coughs> is to practice each day, one time, for at least a couple minutes, practice relaxing, formally relaxing each day. Every day, at least once, <clears throat> usually twice, I lie down either on my back in Savasana, that yoga pose, that's called the corporal pose, or on my right side, which is a traditional meditation pose, hand on your right side, you know, pedal on your head, and I practice relaxing. Again, this is one of those things, it's a no-brainer, I don't know why we don't do it, but since preschool on, every kid, every adult should be practicing relaxing <clears throat> every day for at least a few minutes. We'd be really good at it by now if we did it every single day since three or four. We'd be experts at relaxing. And the thing is, when we're really relaxed, it's relatively easy to be mindful. When we're not relaxed, it's relatively hard to be mindful. So we go so far along this practice when we get good at being relaxed, soft, receptive, at ease. That doesn't mean that we can't get tight at times, but we just know how to relax. So you've got to find a time to do it every day. If your office door shut, you don't have a cubicle where everybody sees you, then shut your door, you know, maybe during lunch, after you eat your lunch, practice relaxing for a few minutes. I'm not talking about meditation now. Just relax. Relaxing means you get into a comfortable position and you focus on how comfortable you are. So you're paying attention to the pleasantness of not doing anything stressful. And you get good at it. And it doesn't matter if you fall asleep. There's a natural rebound where you fall asleep and then you wake up. Now if you, if you don't get up at that point, you can get dull. But if you, this is the real secret of power nap. Let yourself go to deep sleep. It takes about 5 to 15 minutes, usually at the most. If you're more than 15 minutes, you've missed it. It's that first dropping where you drop your self-centered drama and you go to zero. And you want to touch bottom and then there will be a natural rebound either into a dream state or hopefully right to wakefulness and then you get up. In an easy way, you don't have to rush. But you can learn to do that very quickly and you'll be able to refresh yourself and the more you do it, the more refreshed you'll be as you go through your busy days. A couple quick things. 
achieve one thing, to slow down a little and to give your attention to something ordinary. So one, two was to take something that's difficult. Now take something that's ordinary like turning on light switches or brushing your teeth or whatever, something ordinary. If you make coffee in the morning, that could be it. And then make that your meditation object. So something ordinary, it could be a hallway that you walk down at work a lot. Then whenever you're in that hallway, let's say it's a hallway we generally don't have to interact with other people, you just make it to practice to be fully present in your body and mind as you're walking down that hallway. Now, if you don't do it now, if you don't choose something ordinary now, you're not going to remember to do it. So right now, something ordinary. Can't think of anything. Do something like I mentioned, like brushing your teeth or light switches. Whenever you turn on a light, you're completely there in that experience. You're there in the reaching. You're feeling the tactile experience of touching. You're hearing the click. And then you can space out again afterwards, you know? But for those three or four seconds, you're 100% in the moment, in your body and mind, knowing that it's like this now. This is being known. This is life right now. This is my whole life right now, turning the light on. Okay? So you got something? And you can just use life until you think of something better. But don't keep changing it. Once you have it, change it. I mean, keep it until you just do it 100% of the time. It's just part of you know, at least a couple months before you're just always doing it. And then you're just going to carry on because of its own momentum. Then you can choose something else. And the last thing is just to bring a lot of love and forgiveness and humor into your practice because otherwise it will get dry and sterile and feel like a lot of work. And what really helps is to have friends who are also doing the practice so you can laugh and cry with them. Because like I said at the beginning, we're going against the stream. So it's really good to have a community or some friends that are doing it. That's why a place like Common Ground exists, because people are drawn to community. <clears throat> people who are interested in this practice realize that they need to be part of a community doing it. So take advantage of this community or find another one that works for you. It's really important. If you want to develop a practice, to at least have a few friends. <clears throat> Feel free to track me down in the months ahead if you have a lot of questions or come to programs and there's almost always time after programs to ask questions or at the end of, before the end of programs in the group to ask questions like we did tonight. But we need to leave it here. So let's just take a couple breaths so we end with some silence. <coughs> And maybe ending with a few seconds of gratitude for these ancient teachings, all the way back to the Buddha 25, 2600 years ago. And then generation by generation, men and women practicing. They had difficult lives like we do. Did the best they could to develop insight, shared it as best they could. One generation after another, and then it ends up corner in Minneapolis, we get to tap into it, benefit from it, and we can also aspire, each of us in our own particular way, to be a force for goodness and peace and wisdom in the world. So may this be so. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.